Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Earful of Dirt. I am Craig Verdelli. I am filling in as host today for our illustrious Aaron Castro, who could not make it. Uh, as you all know, you can find me at MMFlyHalf on Twitter. Um, with us today, a, a very special guest making his first appearance on the Earthful of Dirt pod. We have uh, but, you know, a very familiar face to American rugby fans by now. Uh, we have Scott, the big guy, Ferrara. Scott, could you uh, tell everyone where to find you on social media? Sure, you can find me at Rugby Rant Pod on all forms of social media, including TikTok, which Craig was giving me shit about before. And also, I also run the at Rooney Fans account uh, for the Rooney Fan Club. Yeah, how old are you, Scott? I feel like I'm, when you're over 35, you don't use TikTok. No, I'm I'm, thir- I'm 34. I just got there. Um, but hey, we got to keep up with the times. And as uh, Ilana Mayer has exploded on TikTok and exploded women's rugby on TikTok, which Craig looks like he's watching right now. I uh, am watching. It's over. It's over the yes, over my left shoulder here while we uh, while we pod USA yes. versus China between her and um, and uh, who 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 the hell was it from the men's team? Oh, who was the TikTok? I don't know. Yeah, uh, Cody Melfi. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. they they blew up. They literally blew up uh, TikTok with rugby, and now like you know, it's it's trending. Uh, TikTok rugby was trending on TikTok today. Big deal. I did actually see Olomar on uh, Instagram and her her uh, Insta stories, and those were entertaining. I assume those were the TikToks in, in yeah, yeah. you know being transferred across. Uh, so Scott, I mean, tough. Uh, you know, I'm the local. Rooster booster around here typically. Uh, tough week for us, though, as Rooney fans. How, other than the game, how, how was your week? Uh, I mean, my week was great. Listen, uh, you know, a loss is a loss. It, it happens on to 2022, in my opinion. But we had, listen, we had a great couple days of men's sevens. We're going to start a great, great double couple days of women's sevens. You know, we're, then we have the Pro 7 Series coming. We have all these, you know, test matches. We have Rugby World Qualifiers. So, I mean, you know, MLR Championship on Sunday. Can't ask for more. What, what did you think of the men's sevens in the Olympics? I'll, I'll boil it down to this. Simply, we were ninth in Rio. We were sixth in Tokyo. If you don't think that is improvement, then you're crazy. And it's funny because the USA Rugby TikTok, or Twitter account was like, you know, if the haters can't handle us and people are like, Oh, that's only a, a, a soccer thing. You know, Oh, I, you should be a soccer counter, some bullshit like that. And I said, the amount of people talking shit about the losing the great Britain match, I think they had the right to, to kind of come, come back and clap back at some people. Hey, you're not going to have every match of rugby go the way you want it. And you know, sevens, I know sevens. We all know sevens, man. Sometimes that shit just happens. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, yeah, I was seven giving this some thought. I woke up, was it this morning now or yesterday morning? I can't remember. They all blend together. But uh, I woke up for the semifinal. Um, obviously, pretty frustrated. I couldn't go back to bed after that. But it, you know, it it did get me thinking. Oh, USA just gave up a try to China. USA women. Uh, it did get me thinking of, of you know the pros and cons of sevens. And I think sevens is so exciting. First of all, it's great to have a tier one team in the USA in sevens. I mean that that alone is worth a lot. Uh, but you know the, the thing that frustrates me is just that the games are so short and everything is so impactful and 
there were a lot of controversial calls. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a guy who's ever going to blame referees, but you could see that whether you, you know, whether you believe in, in the, the referee was correct or not, like those calls decided the game. And, I mean, and it, it is frustrating that, a, you know, two or three borderline calls really do like have a, a very outsized impact when the game is so short relative to 15s where, you know, there's so much more playing time that, any individual call is much less impactful in my mind. Yeah. You can make up that mistake in 15s, but it's funny. The interesting thing I've been noticing about sevens, especially those tier one nations is the style of play, you know, Fiji, Fiji and New Zealand, um, you know, that more open style of play that they're not really concerned about losing the ball going down versus USA sometimes comes in hard on those little two or three man rucks. And you could see that's where we were getting penalized for it too. And it's interesting um, I guess you can sum it up between Northern Hemisphere sevens and Southern Hemisphere sevens. I don't know if you want to start breaking it down like that, where you know Team USA, while they have Carlin Isles and 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 Perry Baker and and they have that free flowing thing, they're still kind of heavy up front. Um, and you know, it just listen, it, it's you make mistakes and, and it's going to happen. And hey, where we were in COVID, where these guys weren't even practicing, where the the World Sevens tournament wasn't going on. To going into, you know, and let, let's be honest, playing in Chula Vista in California, they had a lot of COVID restrictions they had to deal with, you know, in st- other countries, they didn't have that, you know, they could still practice their sevens, even though they weren't crossing, you know, uh, internationally to play, but their seven teams were together. I mean, look at all the other, uh, the English Isles, you know, um, Scotland disbanded their team, Wales disbanded their team, and then they came together with a Great Britain team that, you know, came together and, 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 and knocked us around for that friggin' second half. It just, it just sucks to get to, to have that second half. And, you know, I just, again, people say they underperform, but Hey, ninth in Rio sixth in Tokyo, you know, I don't think we're really going to get more than that. Yeah. Well, apparently not. They were very close to at least being top four. I mean, mm-hmm. like, again, I'm, I'm not overall that disappointed. I think they played well. Yeah, I think they certainly played hard. I, I felt bad for uh, Thomason's tweet about letting the team down. Uh, you know, he, he got a yellow card in that second half for an intentional knock-on. Um, and then that, that kind of was the beginning of, of Great Britain's comeback. But, I mean, that he obviously shouldn't feel that way. He, he saved the, – the knock-on, frankly, saved a try. So, I mean, he's only in the bin two minutes. I mean, it, it probably, in the end, didn't make that much of a difference. I think the breakdown calls really were like the decider there. And, it, you know, it is ironic. I think – I feel like USA men's sevens – team in general is so good at the breakdown. I mean, they, they steal yeah, against Kenya. They had yeah. you know, three or four poaches, the breakdown, uh, but men's 15s USA are awful at the breakdown. So I don't know if we can get some cross training going on. Uh, and you know, may obviously maybe it's just a little different when there's fewer people on the, on the pitch. Uh, well, I think we're more physical though. Like because, because of the build of some of our guys and the makeup of that team, we can kind of be a little more physical at that breakdown, but, it's also it's it's one of the things that I complain about in MLR quite often where I feel like scrum penalties are going the wrong way because a team can't hold the weight. Well, I feel like in sevens, sometimes the team that's more aggressive, not that they're doing anything wrong, but because the, the, the opposition is weaker in that breakdown, the referee is penalizing that team who's more aggressive, and which which again, really if if you're more aggressive and doing everything legal, why the other person should be penalized for not quote unquote holding that weight, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we, we debate scrum penalties a lot in the uh, in the back channels of the uh, USA uh, rugby podcasting world. 
Um, me and you. Right, well, let's uh, let's move on here to MLR. I mean, this that this is the story of the week. Um, this weekend pass was uh, Major League Rugby semifinals, first playoffs we've had in, in basically two years. Uh, so exciting times for two really exciting games. Um, you know, the first one we had was New York uh, visiting Atlanta. So we referenced it before, but a tough loss. Uh, tough loss. New York went down ten to nine. <laughs> Um, with a you know having given up a try in the seventy something minute uh, to Atlanta for them to to seal the win. Um, look, I mean, I think it, it really first of all set the pace for the weekend, and I, I suspect uh, for the entire playoff series, including this coming weekend, uh, with the defense. I mean, it was a it was a defensive battle. Um, Atlanta's defense was was so uh, aggressive and so effective. I mean, it, it seemed like if New York didn't get quick ball and you know weren't able to capitalize on something, you know, uh, moment, you know, generate some momentum and keep going. Anytime the momentum stopped, the Atlanta defense was so smothering that they they legitimately they almost looked frightened to me. I mean, it looked like Anielis was coming up from rucks. Like oh god, here they come! Uh, you know, I mean, it was that type of breakneck line speed that Atlanta was showing, and New York, you know, didn't have an answer for it. Uh, but they played great defense themselves. Atlanta had something like sixty some odd percent of the possession and territory, and they didn't score a try until near the end of the game. And they, you know, they only had three points until uh, very near the end of the game. So, real defensive battle, very very physical on both sides. You know, New York last playoff also lost on a try in, in the final few minutes. Uh, so, yeah, d- disappointing for sure as a New York fan, but I, I think Atlanta has a lot going for them. I, I still think the biggest mid- question mark to me is where is Adrian Carolsa? Is uh, He must be hurt, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I do not rate Batista Escura as a 10. I, I just don't think he's – doing much for that team. You know, his, his go-to playmaking option seems to always be just to kind of lob a Hail Mary kick somewhere and hope something happens. He's not a distributor. He doesn't really attack much with ball in hand other than like a little chip kick to himself. I mean, everything comes from the foot for him and those are just low probability plays. Um, so, you know, I just, that's my concern for Atlanta here in the finals. I I'm, Almost hoping they start Kurt Coleman, who when he came in, I think he at least brought a little bit of life to the ground attack. Um, and, uh, you know, it, he didn't necessarily do something specifically for the try, uh, but, I mean, it, the, the attack was moving much better with the try. Last thing I'll say about the game before I came to Scott was there were a lot of penalties. Um, I think the final penalty col- uh, toll combined was something like 29 penalties with 18 of them to New York. And I want to say, just anecdotally, I would guess, you know, 15 of them came in the second half for New York. I mean, it was every single play New York was getting penalized. Uh, and New York was stopping goal line attack opportunities from Atlanta, play after play. But every, you know, in Selmy, the, the referee was penalizing them and every play would get reset and they got carded uh, and they just couldn't get out of their way in the discipline uh, area. Um, and I think that really, in the end, was too much for New York to overcome. Scott, Scott, what did you think about the game? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to start about how the 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 rosters were made, and you talk about Carl Say and you know, no Mark O'Keefe. And to be honest, in my mind, Mark O'Keefe was ineffective the first two matches against Rooney. 
you know, so why have put a player in there if he's not going to be that as effective? I mean, he scored one try, I think, in that first match or that. The, yeah, I think it was the first match in Atlanta at the end, which I think Rooney was up by two or three scores at that point to bring it a little closer. But, you know, a, a death try that doesn't win you anything. You know, okay, you kind of throw that out the window. So I wanted to go with like heavier backs. And then on the Rooney side, you know, not having Kara Pryor really hurt Rooney um, and not having Dan Hollins had really hurt Rooney because now, you know, you're coming in with Harry Bennett. Harry, well, Harry Bennett has a boot, but again, offensively, sometimes, you know, uh, he's he's a little slower. Um, Kara Pryor just exacerbates the, the loose forward situation on Rooney's side. Um, and that was tough. Um, and yeah, Rooney couldn't get out of their own way in the second half. Apparently, they were only offsides inside their own five meters when on defense because they were never called for offsides, I think, the rest of the match when they were outside of their own 22, which I found amazing. And apparently, they they were <laughs> they were penalized on all of their malls inside their own five meters, but outside when they were defending malls, they were fine, including that one uh, Samu Tawake had at the end of the half where he swam through the middle, grabbed the ball carrier with one hand and threw him out of bounds. Yeah. Um, which if you if if you know, if you guys want to go see that, that's like a textbook how to get through a mall through the middle and 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 save a try there because you know they were rolling. Um, but you got to play above that stuff. So and you know Rooney was penalized for offsides early on in the season and didn't learn to just take a half a step back. But I just found it interesting that all those penalties came in inside the five meters. Um, you know, Atlanta to me didn't look like they did anything to win the match. They just outlasted Rooney. Rooney got, you know, an unfortunate penalty with Quinn Nawadi, you know, slapping a guy in the head, you know, and any head contact now on tackling is a card, you know, so there he goes, goes to the sin bin. But then you get plays like, you know, the Andy Ellis hit, you know, that was the second time Andy Ellis hit was, was hit by that Atlanta player. The first time Andy Ellis was hit by that Atlanta player weeks ago, Andy Ellis was out for six weeks. He wasn't even penalized for a late above the shoulder hit and Andy Ellis was injured. This time he goes late. He goes above the shoulder and then he dump tackles him and he only gets a penalty. So I wonder what, you know, some of these, these tackles, especially these high tackles, when you have a, a, a forward going after a nine late, like, what are we talking about? You know, we're not talking about two forwards who, you know, ran into each other a little bit late. We're talking about an obvious late tackle high and then dumping them. You know, to me, that should, that should warrant a little more than just a penalty. And to be honest, you know, where's discipline to say, Hey, you've done that now to the same player twice. You're kind of head hunting here. Um, that just kind of stuck in my craw a little bit, you know, not that it was going to change anything for Rudy to win, but you know, it's just kind of like, that's a dirty play and you don't need it. You know, the, the Wengluski stomp, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because we were texting at that play when TMO was looking at whatever they were looking at. And for 10 minutes, we couldn't figure out what the heck they were looking at until the last couple shots where they showed the back end of the play and right in front of Anselmi, <laughs> he stomps them. And, and in my mind, I went, well, if the referee is right there, like why even go for it? You know, like yeah. <laughs> he was almost, he was almost touching chance when when chance stopped. On yeah. You can tell he saw that he ran over right after it. And he said something to Savetta on the ground, like, Oh, Hey, I saw that. Are you okay? Um, though, you know, that, that's that stamp. I mean, I don't know. It's such a weird play. Cause I don't, I don't think personally that he did that on purpose. I mean, it just doesn't seem like, I mean, they're USA teammates. Uh, it would be completely unnecessary. I, I don't, I don't detect that sort of hostility between Chance Wengluski and Nick Savetta. I mean, Nick Savetta, I think is a, seems like a well-liked player in general. I though is, is when you slow it down. So in my mind, when you saw it in, in fast motion, the ruck was, or the mall was going away from Savetta and Chance was on the end of it. So in fast motion, it looks like he's just trying to put his foot down, put his foot down to push it more to the left. Yeah. 
But when you watch it in slow motion, it just looks like he's yeah. going for a stop. So I think it's one of those plays where when you see it full in full speed, it's not as bad as you would think it is in 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 slow mo. You know. And I and I wonder what you know. I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know if Larry is on is listening here. Uh, Scary Larry, who's a referee. Sometimes we go to him for rule interpretations or law, you know, law interpretations. I don't. I mean, it, it, if it was an accidental stamp. But a stamp nonetheless. I mean, what is the appropriate call for that? It seems like these days, just because something is accidental doesn't mean it's not card worthy. You know, so I mean, dangerous plays, even when they're accidental, are getting cards. You know, Quinn Nawadi, I don't think, was intentionally making a headshot. It was an accidental thing. Um, this now this didn't touch the head though. So I, I mean, is that only when we're talking about head injuries, or is it all dangerous plays? I, I don't really know. Um, so and I'd be curious if, if there's an official interpretation. But it, to me, I, it didn't look like it was intentional, but it clearly happened, and it was clearly dangerous. So uh, you know, I, I guess time will tell if that ended up being the right one. Yeah, it was, I just thought it was – in my mind, I laughed at it because I'm like, if you were going to do it on purpose, I mean, the referee is in your sight, like, <laughs> you know, free and clear. But, it, it, again, I sorry, I think that stuff is kind of funny. Um, but, yeah, going back to the, the actual match, I mean – you know, Rooney just kept up with the defense the entire time. For whatever reason, their their back line was not as dynamic as it needed to be. And unfortunately, you know, they couldn't hold on to the ball. So whoever, whatever Atlanta fan or official or team administrator fed them popcorn before the entire match, uh, their hands, they're just butterfingers, man. You know, it was, it was just like anytime they touched the ball and anytime they had the momentum, they coughed off the ball. And it was every player. And it was very disappointing, you know. Um, yeah. But, it, a couple things came back to rear its ugly head. I mean, me and Craig, I've, well, I've told Craig this a million times, things like not finding touch. You know, you have one of the strongest legs in the league in Harry Bennett. How does he not find touch twice in a match? You know, to me, that's just, you know, that's embarrassing. Um, you know, you it's for to retain possession is something Rooney needs to do. So what are we really doing here if you can't find touch? And it's happened not only to Harry Bennett, Ben Foden's done it and missed touch. Uh, Dan Hans had missed touch a couple times. So it just seems to be this thing that Rooney couldn't nail down. Um, one of the plays we haven't talked about was the, the um, held up try. Um, from what I know, speaking to an official, um, if you go back, you'll see Will Leonard, you know, pointing down to uh, Anselmi saying, well, isn't it grounded? That part of the ball was grounded on the yellow line. The front, the front part of the ball that would have been grounded on the white line was actually held up. That's why he went to the AR. So that kind of clears up because they didn't really explain it correctly or explain it thoroughly. I shouldn't say correctly. Explain it at all, yeah. yeah. And I didn't sound. Yeah, you correct me if I'm wrong. You couldn't really hear and sell me and the AR, AR really going back and forth. Besides just him going, you know, oh, held up, held up. Yeah, so here. yeah, I got I got a little info on that prior um, to that. So that's that's why you know. What, and was it held up on that side? I don't know, but you're asking the AR that's on the side with three Atlanta players on it too. You know, unfortunately, yeah, the other yeah. side, the other AR is all the way at the other end of the field. So there's nothing you and can really. Trey didn't even attempt to go to TMO. So I mean, it must yeah. have, you must have imagined that that AR felt very strongly that he saw that held up. Yeah, that's that's what I assume. I'm not saying the AR was wrong. But, you know, I'm just saying it, it, to not go to TMO when you have it available, then you know he was he felt strongly that that was the call. But again, I don't think. I mean, to be honest, I don't felt like Atlanta did anything in the first seventy minutes to win, um, other than their defense. I mean, other than defense. But even you know, a lot of their 
their offense, you know, they were they they were kind of running the line between obstruction a lot, and I was surprised it wasn't called a little more in some of their plays. Um, they were actually they were very heavily utilizing the the semi lead blocker. Yeah, I mean to the point where like you know Rudy players were kind of at the just just taking out whoever was in front to take them out because they're in the way. Um, and then but you know again and then you have things like you have the the penalty uh, against ATL where they hit the kicker late. So you would assume, okay, Rooney should know, all right, they're calling it, right? So they called it, right? So Rooney should let up on some of these kicks and not go. And then like three minutes later, Rooney does it to Atlanta. And I'm like, well, if they just called it for us, you should have the the wherewithal to know, hey, maybe we should pull back on some of these because they're looking for it. But, you know, the heat of battle, I guess you're not thinking about it. But I think it's something that a professional should think about as the course of the game goes on and how tightly they're calling things like that or offsides, you know, because it's just a matter of a, you know, a quarter step back on an offsides if the referee's calling it super, super tight. So, yeah. And, uh, news news update uh, the United States won uh, against People's Republic of China 28 to 14. So, congrats to the. Uh, to the women, hopefully next week we'll have a, a be able to recap the women the way we did the men earlier today uh, with some good news and hopefully some hardware. All right, Scott. the the other uh, The other big match of the weekend was LA Utah, a, a retake of the last regular season week. Why don't you uh, Why don't you recap it for us? Well, I mean, it started off with another try that wasn't um, for uh, um, LA. You know, LA started fast. Uh, the Johnny Ryberg try got. Uh, called back they said the pass was forward you know camera angles are camera angles so it is what it is if, if they say it's forward they say it's forward um you know la now they're kind of punched in the mouth and and it seems as though if you can punch la in the mouth you can kind of throw them off but what was what i was surprised was was the offensive strategy that utah had by taking those penalties and not kicking for touch at certain points because i mean we've seen them all season Go for the points, you know. Go for go for big points. Go for big plays. You know, try and keep up with that try count, um, regardless of who they they were playing. Whether it's a high flying offense like L.A. or a stone cold defense like the Gilgronies, Utah was going for points, and this match they didn't. And I I don't understand why. It was very it was very odd to me that they wouldn't go with their winning game plan that they had the entire season that got them there. You know, it got him a one point win against Rudy away. You know, it got him other away matches away from Zion. Cause let's be honest, Zion is a big, um, a big feather in their cap when teams have to go play there because of the altitude, right? So, you know, when they're playing away, they don't have that advantage. But if you could drop a ton of points on people, hey, you know, most likely you're going to win. Um, you know, Angus Cottrell not in for LA. Uh, I think his suspension is up now. I think he'll be able to play in the championship. Um, from what I heard, I'm not sure if Adam Ash will be available for the championship. He wasn't available for this match. From what I heard, he he was kind of done for the season, but other people have heard otherwise. So I guess we'll see when those rosters come out uh, on Friday or Saturday. Um, so those are two big positions that LA gets back. So I wonder if they're going to be uh, better up front because man, their set pieces were terrible. Um, it just, it, it, you know, maybe it was just one of those games where it was a, it was, they just finally had a crappy game themselves versus, you know, somebody else, you know, pushing the pace. Um, you know, they were finally making their own mistakes. Um, their lineouts were terrible. I was surprised. Like, were you surprised about that? I was. And I, I mean, I, I guess I wasn't super surprised that they were struggling with the lineout against Utah because I, I think Utah, you know, 
in the last week of the season was pretty dominant in the set piece. I guess what, what I was really surprised was that LA were so eager to use the set piece. I mean, they they were kicking for territory and lineouts, and I mean they were they were playing like a very tactical game, uh, which I just don't understand because they're you know Utah historically defense has not been great. LA attacking ball in hand has been fantastic. I mean, they're probably the best, uh, you know, team level. I mean, Utah may be the best attacking team with individual talents, but I think as far as like team shape, structure, and coordination, LA has probably been the best attack all year. I just don't know why they were so eager to go away from that and play a more, you know, kicking tactical game. Um, But they did. And then they paid for it because as you observed, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't re- reliably retain their own lineouts. They they weren't doing anything in the scrum. So I mean, Utah, I thought really had the edge in the set piece, and I think they got to use that edge a lot more than I was expecting. Yeah, but they, I mean, they didn't capitalize on it to get the points they needed. You know, by by setting them. So it's funny because they used the set piece to a point, and then they went and they kicked for points. So if you were dominating in those lineouts. Why aren't you kicking to the corner to 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 push it in? That's where I was confused because you were dominating that set that segment. Yeah, they, they weren't even necessarily dominating the attacking line out. Yeah. I think they were just they were able to disrupt, you know, cause overthrows and errors in the in the LA lineup. But LA was doing the same thing. I mean, Dave Dennis was, I, I you know, he was. I think he was doing a better job defensively, reacting and disrupting than he was actually receiving throws. But I mean, both sides really had unclean line out performances. Um, but it's just, I, I just don't know why LA even wanted to try line outs. You know, I think they would have been better off just, you know, running a few more phases and seeing if they could find an opening in Utah defense that, you know, has had a lot of openings throughout the course of the year. Yeah. And, and that's, that's another thing. Everybody talked about that game winning try by LA is all oh, Mikey Teo blew a, a um, a tackle, but I don't know what else he was supposed to do. He's the last man on the sideline. He was using the sideline as a as a, t- a defender, and you know a dummy comes and he you know has to kind of hold his line without support there on defense. So I didn't understand why everybody's like, "Oh my god, Mikey Tail blew a tackle." Yeah, but there was nobody else to help him. It was two two on one. You know, there's nothing. You're, you're, you're Mikey Tail is going to lose that battle nine times out of ten, whether he's Mikey Tail or he's Superman. To be quite honest, because you can run the dummy, you can get the ball. It, whether they he, LA got the ball off, they were still going to score. So it wasn't like you know there was this this in my head this huge tactical advantage that Tail had, considering he was coming from the opposite end because he thought the ball was going the other way and then covering the other side when he realized the winger was in the breakdown. So I don't know. It just I guess maybe just because his performance, you know. Uh, with the Eagles, everybody talked about, and you know, I guess they're just going to talk about Mikey Tail. I don't, under- I, I don't understand it, Craig. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough play, certainly, especially as Ryan James who scored the try is just so fast, and it's probably in all likelihood, you know, quicker and you know, going to be able to cut a little quicker than Mikey Tail can defend. But I mean, at, at the same time, so look, in, in nine times out of ten, I think you want your defender making the tackle on the ball carrier in a two-on-one situation, you know, try to cover both as long as you can. But when you're forced to commit, you commit to the ball carrier, make a hit, and hopefully try to disrupt the pass or whatever. So, you know, Ryan James forced him to commit, and he took a, he took a hesitant step towards the, the pass option, and instead Ryan James kept it and scored. Now, but I will say the, the, the one exception to that rule, rule 15s, is when you're in a play like that and you're on the sideline and you have fat, you know, you have fast moving people, you can't really afford to necessarily 
take the ball carrier when he's the inside runner because if he completes a pass outside, no one on your team is yeah. going to run. If you defend the outside and you force him to cut in, maybe someone has a chance to come from the midfield and make that tackle. So it is uh, it is a little bit more of a complex play, and, I, and in that sense, I would give Mikey Taylor – I wouldn't say give him a pass, but I would understand – why he would go for to defend the pass rather than the tackle in that unique situation. That said, you know, the, just the eye test of watching the uh, the play live, it didn't look like he was making that calculation and, and trying to be thoughtful. It looked like he just got burned by the dummy and beat. I mean, it, he was off balance. It wasn't like he you know, was going into a tackle on, on the wing. I mean, he just got flat-footed and, and turned half sideways. So well, that's that's the other thing too. If you have to you have to look at like the the four or five seconds before Ryan gets the ball, because Teo doesn't realize that he doesn't have his wing anymore, and he's going to midfield. And then when he realizes the short side doesn't have the wing, the ball's already out, and he's trying to make up for lost time. So. He's flat-footed because he has to stop a little bit to figure out, you know, his his tackling position, and that's where the move is made. So again, I think it's more of just the eighty. You you played eighty minutes. It's the circumstance. You didn't realize the guy wasn't there, you know. So you're going to your natural position closer to midfield to try and play your defense, and you just kind of get caught. And I've been caught. You've been caught. People are going to get caught in the MLR in 2022. Somebody's going to be caught on Sunday in the MLR finals. So I don't, you know, I, again, to me, it's not like, you know, there was this huge thing where they're kind of like, you know, how they show in like the football movies where like the linebackers sitting there and the running backs going to come and try and knock them over. Like that just doesn't happen, you know? So I don't understand why, but you know, I guess that's, that's part of fandom. It's just something that I don't, you know, maybe I analyze it a little more than, than the average bear, I guess not to two more. And I'm just, you know, I see we have our uh, our esteemed regular host in the comments there, Aaron Castro. I don't know. He has the magic power to make the comments appear on the window. I don't know how to do that. I'm just going to have to uh, to read them to you. But Aaron says, I see some Nola stash uh, referring to the big guy's Nola kit in the back there. Yeah, that's the original uh, Mardi Gras training top from, what, 2020 or 2019? I forgot when they had it. Um, but I always liked the training top. You know, it was a special edition Mardi Gras thing when it first came out. So it was cool. Yeah, you know. Uh, so back to the game. I I I did think Ryan J. I mean Ryan James was player of the week, you know, for MLR, uh, and he only played like twenty minutes. Uh, <laughs> so pretty pretty high praise, and I think he deserved it. Uh, I mean, he looked electric. He you know almost like the the impact Kurt Coleman had in Atlanta, but times a hundred. I mean, he came in and he brought a life to that LA attack that was. Again, I thought surprisingly mundane overall. Um, he looked like he's playing at a different speed. I mean, he it's yeah, like he had, he had a high play like Madden. You have turbo for your runner. It's like he has a turbo button, but no one else did. And that, mm-hmm. That's what it looked like. So I think he's. I mean, whatever happens this weekend, he he may or may not start. I, I don't know. I hope I hope he does after this performance. But maybe he won't. He doesn't. He more often than not, he does not start for LA. Uh, but I think he's a really exciting prospect for Team USA. He, he was part of the, the camp, this this international tour, and I really think uh, he could be a long term asset for them for uh, for years to come. Absolutely, and I think you know, I think the in my opinion, the MLR Player of the Week should have been the Atlanta Pack with the way they were killing it uh, on their on their own set pieces offensively. Um, you know, but that's me being a fat forward. You know, it'd be tough to have a whole pack on MLR kickoff for the Player of the Week interview. 
Well, I mean, you know, you just pick up, you know, uh, what's his face who scored the try, uh, you know, to win. Um, but that's something Aaron can figure out later. But yeah, no, I think, yeah, I mean, he is, he was high speed, low drag, James. I mean, he just was hitting another gear. Um, honestly, uh, I, maybe it had something to do with the weather. You know, I don't know. Was it that hot in LA? Cause people were are talking about that now coming up, you know, in LA, it's going to be a 1 PM kickoff, you know, for a four 30, uh, uh, Eastern time. Uh, you know, kickoff. So I wonder how hot it's going to be in LA at the Coliseum. I mean, we saw in Atlanta how hot it was. I mean, I could, I, I felt the, the, the sweat coming off the screen to be quite honest. Um, and that was a night game. Yeah. I, I mean, well, the first half, you know, night, but you know, the second half, yeah, even at, at night, the humidity was still sticking down in Atlanta. So I wonder if LA is going to be, have the same thing. And I wonder if that affected them in the semifinal. I mean, to be honest, Everybody, it's funny for everybody who was complaining all season about, oh, MLR has no defense. MLR has no defense. Then they were all complaining on social media. Oh, these games suck. I'm like, I was on the edge of my seat for both games, Craig. I don't yeah, know who said they suck. I did get a comment on uh, my my uh, column on Reddit where they said, uh, you don't often hear thrilling defensive penalty ridden defensive battle all together. But it was. I mean, I, I actually stand by that. It was that this is a New York Atlanta game, but it was thrilling. It was a defensive battle and it was penalty ridden. I mean, when, when you have the concept of advantage, like you do in rugby, I think penalties can be thrilling. I, I still remember one of my favorite early rugby, you know, in my rugby fandom games was like the 2014 USA beat Canada for the first time in a thousand years. And, <laughs> it ended with a goal line stand and they, you know, had a several penalties called against them and they were defending and defending and defending. And finally they got the stop and ended the game. Uh, but, you know, I was thrilling. And, th- and this was thrilling in that way. And New York spent a lot of time defending within their five meter line and uh, they got a lot of penalties. So I mean, they, it was a bummer, but it was definitely exciting in my view. Yeah. But in the LA game and Utah game at, any point I thought somebody could break away from it. You know what I mean? As, as, as you want to say as less dynamic they were on the back line, there's still the point where somebody can break a tackle and go and score at any point for Atlanta or for Utah and LA, excuse me. Yeah. So again, that was another, there was another match. I was just hanging off the edge of my seat and you know me, I'm not invested at all in that because I could care less about West coast teams, you know, as far as my fandom's yeah. concerned, you know? So just to, to grab you. And I think that's the, these are the kind of matches that grab the casual fan. They might not know what's going on, but you could feel the pressure coming off the television. You could feel the, the momentum shifts on the field when there was penalties or there was cards or there was a, a call that went against somebody or there was an advantage that was called back and the person was probably gone for a try, which, which happened in both matches. You know, so I think this is the exciting thing that they need to have. Um, you know, I the only thing I question sometimes is is how the MLR does their their playoffs as far as uh, being televised. Like I understand the contracts with CBS Sports and stuff like that, and they want to have the one channel so they can get the most amount of views for you know to say we hit you know at th- this X amount number. But sometimes I feel like you should kind of spread it out a little bit in these games when you know you you went. Everybody went into this week and going, we're going to see two crackers of a match. You know, nobody really expected a blowout, right? So at that point, 
maybe you know you should punt a little bit and and you know tell people to go on VPN to to get it to show your friends. You know what I mean? It was just it's a conversation that ha- was had afterwards um, by one of the Canadian fans saying, "Well, it's tough in Canada to show um, CBS Sports." And it's actually tough in Canada to show TRN for some reason because apparently Canadian bars don't purchase smart TVs, um, which was weird. It was a very weird conversation. Well, I mean, um, what are they supposed to do? That I, I don't, I'm not sure I follow this. I mean, what else could – you want them to find also like a local channel in every other country to show? I mean, I'm sure that'd be great, but probably yeah, hard to arrange. But that was my point about like TRN. I'm like, well, that's on the bar. That's not necessarily on the MLR or the, the rugby network to – help the bar figure it out. Cause I mean, I've been to four different bars in Manhattan that all throw it on TRN and prior to that threw it on from Facebook. You know what I mean? And prior to that threw it on from wherever we were getting it from you know, ESPN on some matches. So, I mean, bars figured out a way to do it. Um, I just think, you know, and maybe it's, it'll happen this season, uh, you know, 2022, because, you know, we're getting out of COVID knock on wood with the Delta variant and that bullshit, but we will have bigger watch parties to, bring more people in. I think it was kind of tough this year for that. And I think the viewership shows that I don't think we had as much viewership growth as we think we had, but that's okay. You know, we had a full season and we haven't had to postpone any matches or cancel any matches so far. I mean, in my head, that's a win. I'd be curious of the viewership, but I don't know. I, I think we might, I mean, I don't know how you measure it, but I, if you count tier end views, I have a feeling we had, uh, well, so I haven't said any numbers. It's just totally speculation, but I would have a feeling we actually went up quite a bit because TRN is so, User friendly and such an easy resource compared to what we've had in the past. Um, but we, we should get stats for the CBS final that we can compare to 2019. So that'll be interesting. I also have, again, anecdotally, but it seems to me that the in person attendances have been better. I mean, that game we went to a couple of weeks ago in New York at St. John's, I feel like that was as good, if not better, than most MCU park attendances. Uh, even though the, you know, the stadium obviously is much smaller uh, overall. So I don't know. I, I think I even think we're up. I don't know if you've seen something specifically that well, suggests. Right I mean, I, I think we're up because you can add all the international fans that now have easier time going to TRN to see it versus going to the MLR Facebook or the MLR YouTube or the individual uh, um, team fan pages to, to view things. So now they can view everything, but I think North America in North America, I'm not sure if that, that viewership grew as much as we think it did um, because of the way, you know, the pandemic made us change some things. And then I also wonder, you know, speaking of next year, when we start in February, hopefully and March or, you know, prior to March this year, what kind of a semifinal and final we'll have if the weather's a little bit different, you know, if it's not just, if it's just, you know, five degrees cooler in Atlanta, do we see all those handling errors? I don't know. Yeah, the heat is what ruined us, Scott. Uh, Paul Santanelli in the comments says uh, viewership grew just from TRN. That the he said the exceeded expectations. Like he probably meant that exceeded expectations. I agree with you, Paul. I, I think it did too, though. I, I don't just a guess. I don't really know. You know what I think is interesting, Scott? Uh, and I actually think about this a lot. I've never mentioned it, so this will be interesting to see your reaction. When I look at Superbrew, anyone who's on Superbrew, there are several. Uh, you know, leaderboards that you're automatically inserted in. And one is USA and one is global, um, but it's just MLR specific. And the USA Super Group has 298 total people and the global has 3,178. So you're telling me that of the Super Brew MLR fans, 
2,800 of them are global and not USA. I find that shocking uh, that the ratio is so so heavily foreign and that there's even 3,000, you know, non-USA people that follow MLR enough to care to participate in Superbro. Uh, but yeah, but how many of those people were are Canadian? You know, so True. You know, we have to talk about North America, not just USA and Canada. So take out those Canadians. Let's say there's 500. So there's still only, let's say 800, right? So there's still only what, 2,200 people internationally. But that, that maybe goes to my point of TRN viewership being up because of the internationals and not necessarily uh, the North American audience, which is what we're trying to grow. You know, in my head, I would think that obviously North American audience is priority. Don't get me wrong. I'll take any viewership we can get. I love uh, in the Rooney fan group and in, in uh, the, the MLR fan zone, we're getting more and more international fans coming in, you know, talking, Hey, I caught a Rooney match. Hey, I caught a Utah match. Hey, I caught a Gilgroni match, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and Paul also said we could start a GoFundMe to get Canadian bars, some fire sticks. I love it. <laughs> That's a good one. But yeah, that was actually a thing that I was going back and forth with. Um, and I'm like, but just, just buy a smart TV. Like <laughs> I mean, buy them for my house. I mean, yeah, I, I just moved. Yeah. I just bought a house recently and I got some new TVs. I didn't do anything. All the TVs come with, I can just, every TV I got, I didn't know this in advance, but if I like go, I, yeah, I go to my iPad to put on TRN and then just an airplay thing would pop up and it would just give me an option to airplay right to this new TV. So, I mean, it's just like any TV they make these days, you could just airplay with no, you don't even need a smart, you know, you don't need a fire stick or anything like that. Just every TV seems to have that capability. I, I mean, it sounds to me more like the bars don't want to show it than they really That's- can't. That's that's my point, and that's that's one of the things I talked with you about. I think some teams, what they need to do is create like a, a bar starter package, like a pub package, right? So you as a fan, you want your local pub to, to become a, a Rooney pub or a Toronto pub or whatever. Um, do like, you know, a package of, you know, a hat, a scarf, and like a calendar of, of you know, the matches, right? And then you buy that, and then you, you gift it to your local pub and say, hey, I'm going to bring five people here every weekend for the next – you know, however, whatever the, you know, if you're not at a home game, whatever the away matches are, these are the dates. And, you know, you're guaranteed at least five pints and food, you know, if you can show this match. And I think most, you know, pubs would, would go for it. You know, most pubs are like, Hey, that's a, I, I think they see the opportunity there to grow, you know, and you can explain it to them. Hey, this is this, and this is that. And we have a fan group and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I mean, that's what Mike Perzini does up in Albany. You know yeah. I mean? He got, gets 20 people to go every week for home matches and away matches because they're so far away from from uh you know New York City. So I mean that's you know that that pub make made X amount of money just off of their rugby viewership. And as Paul said, let's remember TRN is free. He's right. So we can, you know, for the first time we can watch American rugby for free, you know, and watch all the replay. That's the other thing. We can watch the replays. We can pull the clips. We can have this this social media activity that you see in all the other leagues. We get that through TRN. It's awesome. Yeah, Apparently. the highlights feature is great too. They do a gr- they get them up really quickly. And they get them. Uh, they're pretty good cuts too. You get most of the good plays, and you can kind of even if you didn't see the whole match, you can get a pretty good sense of how it all went. Everyone's, you know, I, I'd say I watch eighty five percent of MLR matches in full, but you know, probably you know, once a week or once every other week, there's one I don't see in full, and I just watch the highlights, and I feel like I got a pretty good sense of it. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about these Thursday night matches? I like I like them. I like them this season. I like him too. I mean, I like him in, in NFL. Uh, you know, I like having something to look forward to in that way. Uh, I mean, I, I think, I guess the question 
would really be as the league seeks to reach a, a cash flow positive level. Are the ticket sales materially different for a Thursday night game? You know, is it hard to get people out? Um, so, I mean, I think it's entertaining, but it's not so entertaining to me that I'd want the team to lose money on it. Uh, so, I mean, if, if this is a financial burden to have a Thursday night game, then I'd say keep them on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I think it's also availability as we saw with, you know, a bunch of teams like Rooney, Toronto, obviously, and even San Diego, you know, moving around and, and, you know, this particular season, but hopefully that's, we're kind of going to stop with that um, to say, Hey, you know, we, we, are we going to have a Thursday night? Cause we don't know where we're going to play on, on next Saturday. Um, but it was just, it was fun to kind of break up the monotony a little bit to have those matches late in this, this, the, the season there. Um, you know, it's, I th- I'm hoping that we kind of straighten out the schedule next season. I'm not opposed to going to watch Rooney in early March at a home match. You know what I mean? Like I don't, let's be honest. We're North American fans, you know? So North American fans go watch football outside. They go watch soccer outside. They go watch baseball outside in September when it's freezing. They, I went to a, a Mets, a Mets game in May that, that snowed one time. You know what I mean? So like you know, it's it, I think we have to get. We're just going anywhere else but City Field. Yeah, no, it really it was just Queens. It was just that's Queens. just followed by a cloud of bad weather. It was it was David Wright Day. They ran out of a ton of stuff. Like, like all anything hot, they ran out of in the, the second inning. They ran out of gloves. They ran out of socks. It was amazing. Um, but my point is, I think we have to start expecting to work this out where teams like Rooney, Toronto, New England shouldn't be playing six games away. You know, in the in the beginning of the season, it was funny because you know a lot of Nola fans were like, "Oh, Nola's on a six match away stand late this season." I was like, "Well, in twenty in twenty nineteen, Rooney played eight matches away before they got to their home match, and twenty twenty uh, that was twenty nineteen and twenty twenty they played five matches away before they got to their home match, and you know that that was just kind of the way we had to deal with it. And let's be honest, who wants to play in Nola in July it doesn't make sense. So you know, I think now we have to start to regulate and get on a, a better uh, um, you know, plane of what we expect fans to do and, and come out, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly long-term, you'd think that that's, that's the way it's going to have to be a winter, you know, start in the winter. Cause it's the, for the p- quality of play, I think the sacrifice is less to play in the winter than it is to play in the dead summer in the South. I mean, that, that becomes very difficult. I think quality of play you know, assuming there's no snow on the ground, even when it's cold, is is still pretty high. Um, all right, so we got the uh, we got the big story of the week coming up here, which is of course the Shield final. Uh, that'll be on CBS proper. We should get some pretty good TV ratings. I think there was half a million views in 2019. So we'll see how we do this time around. Um, but uh, so yeah, I, I, yeah, Atlanta will travel out to LA. Uh, LA was the the regular season points leader for the league. Uh, these teams did face off once before. Atlanta won, um, and uh, at the time they'd held LA to their lowest score of the season. I think it was I think it was like seventeen twelve or something. They were still there. Ended up being LA's lowest point total of the season. Um, so uh, yeah, time time to give our, our preview and our picks. I, I, I did my column on, on the preview this week, so you guys can get a. Uh, a detailed look at my thoughts should you choose to read it. But uh, in summary, I think, I think the matchups favor Atlanta uh, pretty clearly in my mind, honestly, I think both of these teams ended up being defensive powers. You know, LA looked like an, an attacking juggernaut early on really 
though faded to being a pretty mediocre attack uh, in the second half of the season, uh, especially against good physical defenses like we just saw from Atlanta. Um, and in fact, LA was 0-3 against the top three teams in the East, all of whom you know held them to very low point totals. So I think we've seen that LA's attack um, has like a, a let's say a low elasticity, right? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't like go from forty points to thirty five if you turn up the defensive pressure. When you when you reach a certain level of defensive pressure, their score total goes from forty to fifteen. I mean, they really drop off. Um, so, but I think LA have really good defense too, and, and in that sense, I, I think we're going to get a defensive battle because Atlanta's attack is not anything special, especially with no Adrian Carolsa. Assuming he must have a broken leg that he wasn't even on reserve this week, so I'm assuming that'll be true. Um, you know, I, 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 if I'm Atlanta, my big concern here is will we be able to generate anything in attack against LA's defense, which has actually turned out to be very good throughout the course of the year. Uh, where I think they're going to have a, a pathway to do that is the set piece. Uh, Atlanta has had a very strong set piece. LA's had a weak set piece. And in, in these tight, you know, both of the games we saw this past weekend were very tactical, very defensive heavy. I have no reason to believe that's not going to continue. I mean, that's like a, We've really turned up the pressure. All the intensity is in every play. It, it it lends itself to a very thoughtful, piecemeal, tactical approach uh, in which the set piece is going to be used a lot. And I think Atlanta really do have an, an edge there. They, I saw on saw some social media today um, that Atlanta lost none of its lineouts, none of its scrums. I mean, no, losing their scrums is not a big surprise. But, you know, in, in this league – 100% of your lineouts in a match is a huge advantage. Uh, I can't remember. The caveat to that was Rooney wasn't defending the, the jump, so they knew Atlanta was going to a mall. So, I mean, if if I wonder if L.A. is going to do the same thing because L.A. had success against Utah disrupting their lineout. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm always a guy that like, you know, I, I tend to like jumpers, and I, I tend to get annoyed when teams don't put up a jumper. But let's be serious. The trade-off is – if they don't disrupt it, they have to defend that Atlanta Mall, and I just I, I'm not sure that LA actually can defend the Atlanta Mall if, if it is engaged. I mean, we saw Utah blow away, yeah, blow them away with malls two weeks ago. Um, so we'll see. I mean, they they'll have to make that decision. It'll be interesting to see what their game plan is. I'm guessing, you know, outside their own 22, maybe they'll put up a jumper and try to disrupt. But anything inside their 22, I'm I'm going to say they're not going to jump and they're just going to go right to mall defense because, I mean, the disrupt play is too risky, and if they miss it, you know, they're, they're giving up uh, a sure, if not try, a sure big momentum uh, push. So I, I think, you know, for me, I, I think the way I see this game playing out based on the, the last game and based on the way these other play, you know high-intensity playoff games have developed, uh, I think Atlanta do have an edge here, and uh, so I, I'm taking Atlanta by four. Scott. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, you know, obviously if that that first LA score doesn't come back, right, in against Utah, do they stay with an open style of play? You know, um, because it seems as though if they can get points in the first 10 minutes, they continue on that path of the less tactical, the more free-flowing. And if they don't, they kind of reverse course and go tactical. I mean, you can kind of almost see it happen – in the match, like all of a sudden 
they're kicking for territory or, you know, they're trying to, to hit their set piece. So I wonder if it's going to be the same thing against an Atlanta team that, you know, can match them. I feel an open play. I mean, I don't, I think Atlanta's Atlanta's back line is just as tough as guys like John Ryberg, where again, they can go, they can break a tackle at, in Atlanta. You know, the missile can break a tackle and go, you know, he can make one step and cut and go um, and not have to be set up by what's, you know, with the passes and all the other plays going on around them. LA likes to use those plays going on around them, but I think Atlanta's defense can figure it out. Um, they stay home, you know, and I think what you saw is LA had this, this setup of offense, right? And by the first six weeks, it caught everybody off guard because, you know, nobody had the camp LA had, uh, there wasn't that many um, um, preseason matches and teams like Rooney, you know, were, were practicing in 10 guys to a pod. So how are you going to figure out your defensive calls and get into that, that synergy and that flow? If you have 10 guys practicing over there and 10 guys practicing over there for a game that plays 15 on the field, you know? So I felt there was a switch that flipped at that point in the season that said, okay, all the other teams have gotten their defense together. And that's kind of what's hindered LA. Not that LA has, has not, isn't, any more as dynamic as they were in the first half of the season or the first quarter of the season. But the defense, the team defense has just finally figured it out. And it was mostly communication issues because you could see there was these huge gaps, right? In the first quarter of the season, LA was running through like, you know, like Jerome Bettis size gaps. And that was just due to because you, you didn't trust your teammate or you didn't communicate with your teammate or you thought your teammate was doing one thing and they're doing another because we didn't have that practice. We didn't have that experience. Yeah. So, and you I know, thought they were able to move so fast back then. I mean, you know, Goddard in those early weeks was recycling the ball so quickly, and he was picking up, and he, and he was always a dangerous. He, I think he's the most dangerous runner from the back of a ruck. I mean, he he will attack. He's quick. He's shifty. He'll he'll dummy you there, and you know they were playing so fast where he he'd recycle it take a couple steps, draw a defender, pass it off. And it, you know, the, the defense just didn't have time to get back in shape. They weren't trained from camp. Um, and so then, you know, they had a lot of op- options to attack. And then LA had the space to do all the switches and the pullbacks and all the really fancy stuff they were doing. And now teams have learned, one, don't let them play that fast. Stop the ball at the breakdown. If you put two people in, if you have to, you know, fall on the the ball carrier and have the ref say roll away or whatever, like buy some time for your defense to get into shape. And two, they, I think they just, you know, they've woken up to the the Goddard attack around the ruck, and they've woken up to the switches. And and with the line speed, LA doesn't you don't even see them do these complex plays anymore because they don't have they don't have the time or the space that they had at the beginning of the year. To go like okay, first you know pop to the first forward pod. He has an option and he pulls it back to his rear guy who goes out left. He has an option. He pulls it back. I mean that that's how a play requires a lot of time and space to develop. And when you have line speed, you're not you know, you can't get the ball out yeah. two times wide that way because the whole defensive line is crashed in. So uh, I think defenses have figured it out. It, uh, I see Doug Coyle in the comments. Hi, Doug has observed LA get back Angus Cuttrell for the final. Uh, Scott mentioned that earlier as well. Um, yeah, he's a deadly player, and he's another one who is a sneaky attacker around the breakdown too. Like he'll he'll pick and go right over the middle. He's yeah. very quick. Um, That's how LA beat uh, uh, 
AGs a bunch is they beat them up around the A gap, and for whatever reason, AGs were just not. It seemed as though they were almost he was he was almost getting through untouched the first two or three steps, and then the Ford was like, "Holy shit, he just ran past us." So I don't know if it was just you know a uh, defensive lapse on the mind or just the way they were playing their line defense where they they thought somebody else had that a gap or going straight over the ruck. And I mean, LA worked it to perfection against the AGs. You know, you were talking about how they figured out Goddard and it reminds me of how I feel about Danny Tusatala and how hot he was at the beginning of the season. And what I noticed with him was, and this is kind of what they've been doing to Goddard as well. They might not be contesting the ruck to, to jackal the ball, but when, when Goddard and Tusatala are going in to, to pick that ball, they're the, usually the prop, usually a loose head. It's coming in to counter ruck just to throw it off a little bit and get that guy's butt in their face. And you saw the drop off in Tan- Danny Tusatala and his his recycle speed just freaking go and crash. And Goddard's did, hasn't crashed like cratered, but it's definitely thrown him off a little bit. And you know, once you throw that 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 release ball off, you know the back line, the rest of the back line with a with a defense like Atlanta coming up the way they did against Rooney. You know, you're not going to get anything done. Um, so you're. I think it's just going to be. I think the same style of backline play is going to be for both teams, where they're just going to hope to break a tackle. You know, make a move or break a tackle and and go. And both teams have the the speed to do that. So it's a toss up. I'm going to say I'm going to say LA by three. I'm going to say LA minus three. But that's just giving them home field advantage. You know, I, it's a toss up to me. It's it's six to five and pick them. Okay, and uh, so I picked. Uh, Atlanta by four. Scott has LA by three. I like. I always like when we have different opinions. Shows the parity of the league. Uh, wh- give me your. Uh, give me your player to watch for the final. I'd say Jeremy Missilagalu, the missile. I think if if he can again, if he can get through some tackles, which is something that he couldn't do really against Rudy in two matches. But the back line, def- you know, the defenders that they have in LA are a little older, um, except for Johnny Ryberg. But it, I, I, honestly, I think it just if if he can get through that first line of defense, he's gone. You know, Mark O'Keefe, if he's in the lineup, if he's not injured, the same thing. Mark O'Keefe can break one tackle. That's why he's the cowboy, right? He's off to the races on that horse. So I think. Rooney, I felt, was one of the best tackling teams in the league, especially one-on-one tackles. Like, they'd get you down, you know, and then the support would come. I don't think L.A. does that on, on a on as a consistent basis on a team like Rooney or a team like NOLA. NOLA did it too. Um, so I think that's where L.A. can have the advantage, as specifically Jeremy Misilagalu. Okay. Good, good call. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to go with uh, Billy Meeks. I, I think – yeah, you know, another great season out in LA. Um, I think Billy Meeks today. You know, Ryan James let's put him aside. He's on the wing. He's not going to get as many touches. Billy Meeks center. You know, gets gets involved a lot more frequently. And I feel like he's one of the few people on LA that I feel with ball in hand in the open field on a, a fairly standard play has a chance to you know, repeatedly be able to make individual plays where he beats Atlanta defenders, you know, and breaks that game line. Um, and I think that's what it's going to take for that. I think, I think if LA needs are going to win, they need someone who they're, they're, they're what they've relied on in attack in many cases has been a very well-designed shape and a, a very well-designed structure and kind of tricky 
plays where they capitalize on defensive laps, like Goddard, like yeah. I don't think you're going to get defensive laps against LA. And I don't think you're going to have the time and space to do these complex, you know, passing schemes. I think they need individuals who are going to beat L- you know, Atlanta defenders and create space that way. And to me, that's a question of Billy Meeks. If Atlanta shut down Billy Meeks, I think they win. If Billy Meeks is able to, you know, break the game line three, four times, create, you know, cascading runs, I think then LA has has a good chance to take it home. Yeah, I wonder. I, I guess, you know, do we know who's officiating? Did they say yet? I have not seen. Okay. I mean, I'm gonna assume it's it's probably Scott Green, right? I would say it's JP Doyle is my guess. Okay. Though I think Scott Green was the AR for JP Doyle this past week, so maybe uh that that means it's gonna be a switch here for the final. All right. No, I was just wondering because I, I like to say Scott Green's the king of offsides for every match I've ever seen him uh, referee. Very tight with the offsides calls. Um, well, I think Anselmi has the crown after the New York Atlantic. Just, just inside the five, though. Scott, at least Scott Green calls well, offsides. The whole game was inside the five for New York. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, he didn't call any penalties anywhere else. The ball never went anywhere else. Uh, but outside, you know, I'm just if, if a guy's in if a guy's offsides on inside the five meter line, he should be offsides outside the five meter line if you're calling it that way. Anyway, um, but no, I was just you know just like the bus guy with green chops a little bit. Uh, maybe we'll see Mikey Lash there doing some dancing, like he was. Um, you know, so now it's just it's always interesting to see who's there. You know, because because uh, everybody gets uh, Paul Santanelli in the comments says JP Doyle. I don't know if that's a guess or an official answer, but. Uh, I uh, mean, me and me and Paul on the same page today. We love to see it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't think uh, I don't think we got any questions on Twitter. Let me check one second. Nope, I don't see any. So, how many how many home matches are you going to go to in twenty twenty two? Well, I don't know, Scott. Where are they going to play in twenty twenty two? It doesn't matter where they play, Craig. You got to go to. Yes, them. it matters to me. If it's a two hour drive or a thirty minute drive, that's going to make a. Uh, make a difference. Uh, I will try to attend more. I, uh, you know, next year, God's willing, I will not have a newborn during the season. So I might have a little more flexibility to drive around. Um, Paul, Paul's let us know that JP Joel is not a guess. So, so it's official. If, if it's wrong, go after Paul, a Santinelli. So, so here, here's what I expect to see. I expect to see one of the teams going on uh, long advantages, and then when they finally break out to score a try, JP Doyle is going to call it back. That's I this I have a feeling this is what's going to happen. I think when JP Doyle shushed the crowd at St. John's a couple weeks ago, that was one of the most epic refereeing moments oh. I've ever seen. Well, to I mean, to, let's uh, let's explain that one, Craig. We had a a um, player from. Uh, uh, Nola off the field um, who took a head on head hit and he was looking to get wrapped up and JP Doyle was, you know, we, while we don't have, you know, HIA, he was asking the player, he wanted to look in his eyes to make sure he didn't have to send him off the field. Um, and a Nola fan behind her behind us kept screaming HIA, sir, HIA, sir, HIA. I mean, he said it 78 times and we're all like, there's no HIA. And finally, JP Doyle just shushed him and told him to shut up. And I was like, finally, like, you know, just let, you know. we're not talking about like a play that happened that did, we're talking about, you know, health of a player. And JP Doyle is trying to look in the size and try and have a, to make sure he has a coherent conversation with this player. Because if he doesn't, he's sending him off. You know what I mean? He's telling him to 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 go kick rocks. So I think it was great that you know he didn't just go out of his way to shush a, a fan. He was shushing a fan so that way he can assess the health of a player. And that's regardless of how you feel he calls matches, 
that's the the official's number one priority in my mind. Yeah. And and for the record, I love JP Doyle as a referee. And he looks like Rand Paul, and I think that's funny. <laughs> All right, I think that'll wrap it up for us tonight. Thanks again, Scott, for the uh, the pinch hit here. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, why don't you remind everyone one more time where to find you? Yeah, you can catch us uh, Monday nights at Rugby Rant Pod on Facebook. We have live interviews with everybody, you know, through North American Rugby. I mean, we had Andy Ellis. Uh, uh, Heineke Meyer, um, who else? We had Greg Killebrew, Greg, uh, George Killebrew, rather. He's coming on in the next couple weeks to recap the season. We're doing a live um, draft event. And then every Thursday uh, on Facebook and Friday on TRN, you can see our Rugby Rant episodes where me, two other pundits, uh, go battle it out against each other to win this awesome trophy. Um, I am the current winner uh, this week, sneak peek. I won this week. Uh, Rob the Hammer can suck it. yeah, so check us out at Rugby Rant Pod on all social media, including TikTok. And then if you want to know what's going on with uh, the Rooster Boosters, which is a Rooney fan club, at Rooney Fans, we have a pretty active Facebook. We're doing our end-of-the-year voting and all that right now. So come check us out. Thanks, everyone. And, and you can find me at MMFlyHalf on Twitter. Uh, you can read my columns on your Full of Dirt website or on TRN on Monday mornings. And uh, – you know, let's, uh, let's look forward to a big final, and we'll talk to you all next week. Nobody works for MLR now, so no disclaimers for this episode. We're all just regular dudes watching rugby. <laughs> all right, talk to you guys next week. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.